0: Well, good morning. It is so good to see your faces this morning. My name is Mike, and uh, I'm the Kairos Pastor at Brentwood Baptist. Yes, we have some representation here. Uh, It's good to see your faces this morning. I know many of you from other meetings and other places. And Pastor David is a good friend. I'm so grateful he invited me to come uh, share with you today. I got to know David Uh, Last year at our pastor's retreat, we shared a room together. And let me just tell you, you get to know somebody really well when you share a room with them. And I didn't know him at all before that moment. It was just kind of like, hey, we're sharing a room. Hope this isn't weird. Hope you don't snore. Um, But let me just tell you, you have a gem in Pastor David. He's incredible. And I can't wait for the day that he launches a podcast focused on travel and food. I don't know if... If you're like me, I'm like waiting for it. I hope that he has one because every time he opens his mouth, he talks about his adventures in Italy and his desire for us to see it just like he did. And so um, I just love him. I also am so grateful for a lot of your staff. Charlie has been a huge encouragement. She and Justin and at Kairos all the time. And they have been family for us. So thank you guys. Thanks for having me here. It feels like we're having a crossover event uh, in a lot of ways. Um, But uh, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, why don't you open it to John chapter 5. We're going to be reading a couple verses there. That's going to be our text. Before I do that, I do think that it's important for you to know me a little bit better. So it's just not like, hey, this is random guys up here preaching. So let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, My name is Mike. I'm married to Tabitha. We have four great kids, um, Abigail, Violet, Georgia, and Josiah. So we're busy all the time trying to just keep them alive. Uh, I'm from Bogota, Colombia. My wife is from Colombia, Tennessee. They are not the same (laughs) (laughs) at all. Uh, And uh, the other day I was reminded by this. In fact, last night. So uh, my, my kids are in elementary school. Let me just tell you, like all the, like, little, like, chants and Things that we used to do as kids—they're still alive and active. Like they learn them. Like we didn't teach them this stuff, but at school there's like this petri dish of culture that they just constantly just pick up. So the other day, like my kindergartner again, never taught her this before. She started doing the Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. You guys remember that? Like a little chant. it's kind of a way to like figure out how to like decide something. And so it goes something like this: Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. Catch a tiger by his toe. If he hollers, what's next in your mind? Let him go, right? Not in Columbia, Tennessee. So my wife's like, really, that's what it is? Because, you know, most of us say, if he hollers, let him go. My wife goes, no. In Columbia, Tennessee, we go hard. There we say, if he hollers, make him pay $50 every day. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that in my life. I was like, where are you from, right? So I've been married for like 15 years. Never even heard that before. But that's how they go in Columbia, Tennessee. And we love Being here in the Mid-South is awesome. I learn something new every day about this culture and this community. Uh, But I'm so glad for grace, aren't you, right? That God lets us go instead of makes us pay. And that was my Jesus juke for the day. All right. Uh, Let's look at John. John uh, chapter 5. John 5, verse 39 through 40. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his enemies. They've confronted him. They've said... Uh, you need to give us an explanation for the way that you teach and the way that you heal because he healed uh, somebody on the Sabbath. And they're angry at him and they seek to kill him. And Jesus goes, you guys are mad at that? Let me just go a little bit deeper. Let me point to you uh, to who I am and who I am in the scriptures. And so he says this in verse 39. He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus says, all scripture is ultimately about me. You guys look at the text over and over again, looking to see how you can find out how to please God. And yet, they're ultimately about me. And when we hear this, a lot of us go, okay, that sounds very common. Because if you grew up in church at all, you know that the answer to every question in Sunday school was what? Jesus, right? There's a whole story about a little kid who hears a Sunday school teacher say, okay, what has a bushy tail and is brown and looks for nuts? And he goes, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus, just to be sure, right? Why? Because we know that the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. But could you imagine sitting there in this moment, in that crowd, and hearing this carpenter from Nazareth go, the Bible, everything you've ever read, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, they all are about Me, you would have thought, you are insane. You're a crazy person. And yet Jesus is pointing to the fact that the central piece of the scripture is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is central to everything that we know about God and about the scriptures. So what we find in this story here is the key to understanding scripture, which is this. Christ is the key. If you want to read your Bible and understand it, which is what our series is about, how to study the scriptures, you need to understand that Sunday school wasn't wrong, <laughs> okay? Jesus Christ is the key to understanding the scriptures. He's the key. He's the key to understanding who God is and what He's about. Because the Bible is ultimately one majestic story with Jesus as a central figure. He's the greater hero. He is the one who's telling a bigger story. See, all of Scripture can be understood through the gospel lens. There are four major movements to the gospel, the meta-narrative of the Scriptures, which are creation. God created everything good to be in relationship with himself. But man fell, we fell, and we sinned, which brought the fall, the second great movement, which brings us to a place of brokenness and desperation without a holy God. But then Jesus came to give us redemption he brought us back to a relationship with the Father. And ultimately, all of it, where it's all going, is a place of restoration. Where God will restore all things to himself. But Jesus Christ is the key to understanding Scripture. Now, we don't just see that here in this story where Jesus says, Listen, you read the Scriptures, but ultimately they're about me. But you find this over and over again in the Scriptures, especially post the, post-resurrection. So look with me in Luke chapter 24. If you go just left a couple of pages... In Luke 24, you find Jesus saying this. Let me read to you that text. In verse 25. So Luke 24, verse 25 says this. He said, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. This is one of the most majestic passages in the Bible because Jesus was raised from the dead, although nobody really knew that yet. They just knew the body was gone. And during the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, he begins appearing to people, including these two disciples who are on their way to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking there. We don't know why, but they are. It's a long walk. It's about the distance from here to Brentwood. Okay, so think about that. Just get, you know, get your shoes on go walk to Brentwood. They do that. On their way, they meet this guy. This guy starts telling them about Jesus. And then he says, listen, although you guys are mourning, let me just tell you, Jesus is ultimately the reason for all the scriptures and shows them every place where the Bible connects back to Jesus Christ. I couldn't imagine what that sermon was like, right? Can you imagine Jesus pointing to all the times where he's revealed in the scriptures? Although they don't know it's Jesus yet, Jesus begins to teach them what it means to understand the Bible in the way that God understands it. And for you to understand the scriptures, it's not simply a bunch of stories or a bunch of moral uh, lessons or a bunch of things that teach you how to life hack the world so you can have a great marriage or a great life. The Bible is ultimately pointing us to rest in Jesus and understand what he has done for us and why we are here. So there are a lot of ways to do this. But my invitation for you is that whenever you read the scriptures, to look at what this teaches you about Jesus. Spurgeon says this, every time he opens his Bible, he says, I take my text and I make a beeline to the cross. Same is true for us. When we're looking at the scriptures, we need to look and find Jesus. Now, it's not easy to do this. Sometimes there's very obvious parallels, right? So, for example, there's the story of uh, Abraham being called to sacrifice his son Lot. I'm mean, not Lot. That's not his son. <laughs> to sacrifice his son Isaac, and so he does. He goes, takes him up to uh, the mountain that God told him to take his son to. He lays his son on the altar, and as he's about to slay his son, God says, "Stop." look over to the bushes, there's a ram that I want you to take and sacrifice in place of your son. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ who came and gave himself for us. That one day on that very place that that Abraham was standing on, Mount Moriah, there would be a different son that was laid out to be sacrificed. That would be Jesus Christ. And God would... Sacrifice his own son in our place. There would not be a lamb that would be our substitute. Jesus Christ himself was that substitute. And that story points us to the hope that we'll have, uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. But there's a second version of this that you find throughout the scriptures. Every time you look at the scriptures, there are times where you can see Jesus Christ revealed. At Kairos, we taught on the story of Jonah the past couple weeks. We've been looking at how to hear God's voice and respond in real ways. And what's so amazing about the book of Jonah is that God sends Jonah to go speak a better word to the people of Nineveh, calls them to repent, and over and over again you hear God speaking to Jonah. And the scriptures tell us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to him. Now Jonah did not want to follow the Lord. He didn't want want to obey what God had to say to him. He didn't want to follow God's call to bring people who were his enemies back home. And so he ran. But the Bible shows us that someday God would spend, send somebody better than Jonah to go to his enemies. That person was Jesus. In John chapter 1, we find that the word of the Lord was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's what the scriptures tell us. So the word of the Lord that came to Jonah would come to us, not simply through somebody who is a prophet, but through his own son, Jesus Christ. And this is a picture of Jesus in the book of Jonah. And in every story, every Every part of Scripture, we find an echo of the Savior that's coming. And that's how we read our Bible. if we want to be people who are students of the Word, we need to be constantly looking for Jesus. Because Jesus is the key to understanding the Scriptures. And you can do this too. There are many methods to do this. But I think the most important aspect of doing that is coming to Jesus. Not just being someone who reads about him or studies Jesus, but actually coming to the person of Jesus Christ, which is the second thing I want you guys to hear today, which is that Christ says to come. Jesus wants us to not just read about him, but to know him. So look with me in the text back at John chapter 5. If you guys want to go back to that, that passage of scripture. You see in verse 40, Jesus saying something to his enemies. He says this, he says, you are not willing To come to me so that you may have life. He tells them they are unwilling to come. And yet, Jesus' desire is for them to come to him. God desires us to know him. To seek him out. But instead of seeking Jesus, these teachers of the law, these pastors, these leaders, that's what the Pharisees were... They're seeking how to find eternal life by reading their Bible without Jesus. They're looking at religion rather than relationship. They're looking for ways to be right on their own standards instead of finding that in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says, he says, you're never going to find it apart from me. You have to come find me because I'm not interested in religion I'm interested in a relationship. That's what I want. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with you. If you just come to me, you'll find a deep, abiding relationship. Now, this idea of religion and relationship is something that Tim Keller has spoken about extensively. But I just want to kind of summarize this here. Religion says, I need to perform in order to be loved. I need to do the right things in order to be loved. And many of us live in these structures because That's the way that our parents operated, right? That's how they they parented us. When we did well at school, we received rewards. When we did well at home and we obeyed, then we felt them being pleased in us. And yet, that's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, I desire to have a relationship with you first. And then out of the overflow of your identity as my child, you will act and look different. Don't get the cart before the horse. I'm not looking at obedience first. Religion is not required. What I desire is a relationship. Because God reveals himself as a relationship pursuing God from the very beginning. Genesis uh, chapter 2. We find God created man for himself. And God and man lived in community and relationship every day. God would go into the garden and he would meet with Adam and Eve. Because God desires relationship. That's why he built us. And the relationship is then broken by Adam and Eve, but God continues to pursue relationship with people. When God brings the law to Moses on the mountain, the first thing that he does is he calls Moses to himself into a relationship. The law comes second. When God calls Abraham, God pursues a relationship with him, not A religious system. And Jesus does the same thing. What does Jesus do when he walks the earth? Well, he preaches. He teaches. He heals the sick. But he also develops deep abiding friendships with people. In fact, that's one of the things I think is so fascinating is that Jesus' greatest legacy were his friends. In fact, one of his greatest miracles is that as an adult male, he had 12 friends, right? He spent time walking day by day. Some of you guys are like just getting that right now because you haven't like lived out in the real world beyond college. But for most of us, man, it's hard to find friendships, right? And yet Jesus pursued them relentlessly. And he's doing the same with us. In our daily walk, God wants a relationship. And yet, I can't help but think this. This is what I, uh, what I really wrestle with when I read this passage. What I wrestle with is the fact that we're not that different than the Pharisees. See, it's easy to make fun of them and give them a hard time. be Like, man, you guys are just about rules and law. And you're trying to keep all 10 commandments. In fact, all 613 commandments you find in the book of Moses. And yet... We're not that different. Many of us pursue God in ways that are not personal and are not about relationship. They're simply about doing religious practices. And Jesus says, I want so much more for you than that. Many of us equate following Jesus with reading our Bible and going to church. And you need to do both those things. I'm not saying you don't. But many times we leave it there and we don't let Jesus come into our life and become an active part of our journey. We keep him only in these nicely confined spaces of religion. And God desires a deep and abiding relationship with us. He wants to meet us. So why do we read our Bible? Well, it's important for us to read it because it gives us an idea of the real Jesus. There's a lot of versions of Jesus out there. right? It's easy for us to make Jesus look just like us, vote like us, act like us, like the same things that we do. And yet it's important for us to see what Jesus tells us about himself in the scriptures. It's easy for us to look at the different kinds of Jesus and try to pick one. That's why the joke hits so hard in Ricky Bobby, right? Because I like the six, the eight-pound, six-ounce six-ounce baby Jesus, that's the one I like the best. Why? Because it's the one that I can identify with most. It's the one that I can just have my heart connect to most. And yet Jesus is so much bigger than that. So what if we look at the scriptures instead of being something that's simply like a painting that shows us what Jesus is like. Instead, consider our time with God as a window. There's a difference between a painting and a window, right? A painting is static It may have great beauty. It may reveal a great uh, landscape. It may show us something that that is nostalgic or draws our heart towards it. But a window is different in that it invites us to something beyond what we're seeing. It invites us to go outside and experience it. And sometimes we look at the scriptures and we can simply look at it as a piece of art or a static dead thing or something we can ascribe to. And it becomes almost an abstraction, but Jesus wants us to read the scriptures so that we can know him in an active way and go outside and enjoy him. One of my favorite stories is the, the Voyage of the Don Treader. It's part of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've read that. It's like hard not to have read it if you grew up in a Christian home, okay. But basically it's a story about an imaginary place um, that, that these kids go and visit. And uh, if you haven't read this, I encourage you to do it. Um, I feel like everybody's read this story, but maybe you haven't. Uh, but in the vo- in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, two of the characters are in their uncle and aunt's house. They hate being there. But there's this one picture that they love, which is a picture of a ship in their room. And it's this picture that looks really lifelike. It looks like this, this ship is just, like, running. And they're like, man, this ship reminds us of Narnia. Like, we love it. And one day while they're there... the Painting becomes alive and they are drawn into it and they enter into the the magic of the moment. And the story moves from being very dreary and dull to being filled with adventure and excitement. And I can't help but think that that's the same thing God wants for you and I when we come to the scriptures. When we come, we should not come simply looking for something that helps us get ahead in life or to be more, more holy and righteous and better at keeping the rules we should be people who say yes i want to do all those things and yet i still want to find jesus i want to know the one who wrote this because all scripture ultimately testifies about him and he's the centerpiece of it so my invitation to you as we close is simply to be someone who's expectant to be expectant When you open your Bible, do you come with a sense of expectation that God wants to say something to you? That's been my heart cry for over 20 years. But in the last several months, I found myself going um, even more deeply into the sense of saying, God, I want to just do what you want me to do. I want to be someone who doesn't just read it and then try to keep it because I think this is going to, it's going to make me a good person. I want to know what you want from me. I want to hear your word because you're not a dead God. You're an active and alive God. So as we close, I just want to just give us a moment just to kind of reflect on this. okay? Because we can, we can read about Jesus. We can study the scriptures. And we can lose our sense of expectation. So one of the things we do at Cairo is we do this thing called 120 seconds. Where we just kind of still and we kind of think about what God may want from us. It's a moment to pause and not move too quickly past the preaching of the Word. But my invitation to you as we take this moment of reflection is just simply to pray and say, God, would you would you start meeting me in a real way as I study the Word? Would you give me a, a moment where I can hear your voice really powerfully in the Scriptures? God, would you, would you reveal to me in ways that I may be more of a Pharisee than I would like to be? Where I simply read it for content but not to connect with your heart for my life. That I wouldn't just study the scriptures just because I'm hoping to find eternal life in them, but I'd actually see the source of eternal life, which is Jesus. Would you free me from from just going through the motions, but bring me to a new place that I have never been to before. So we're just going to make some space for that as I pray over you. Jesus, I know that Many of us in a place like this on a Sunday morning, we're here because we want you. We want to to not just go to church. We want to know Jesus. But I also know just from my own experience that the pull towards just going through the motions is so powerful because we're so busy. I also know, God, that there are times where we can just start thinking about keeping rules and not pursuing relationship. And yet you show us something so much better than simply doing things and trying harder. You show us rest in you. So God, I pray for that right now, that you would give us rest in you. God, God, free us. from going through the motions and draw us to yourself. Give us a feeling of expectation when we come to you. And you will speak. It's in your name.